Hello and welcome to the Strikeout Central podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and at long last, it is time for another podcast episode as we approach the mid-season point of the baseball season. In addition to the podcast, please follow the Strikeout Central website at www.strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Yes, it is the middle of June, and the All-Star break is getting closer, as is Game 81, the midway point of the season in baseball. Let's do a standings update. These standings are prior to the beginning of play on June 22nd. The AL East is owned by the New York Yankees right now, controlling the division with a 50-18 record and a 12-game lead on the second-place Toronto Blue Jays. That is where things start to tighten up as the Boston Red Sox playing some good baseball sit just a half game behind Toronto in third and just a half game ahead of the fourth place Tampa Bay Rays who are just one game back of Toronto and the Orioles are comfortably bringing up the caboose. The AL Central has Cleveland and Minnesota neck and neck at the top of the division with the White Sox three and a half games behind in third place. Detroit and Kansas City bring up fourth and fifth in the division pretty far out of the division race. The AL West is once again controlled by the Astros, with the Texas Rangers sitting in second place, with the LA Angels breathing down their necks in third. Fourth place is currently occupied by the Seattle Mariners, with the Oakland A's sitting in last. Moving over to the National League, the New York Mets are in control of the NL East with 45 wins and a five and a half game lead on the second place Atlanta Braves, who have been on a tear lately and have closed the gap. The Phillies sit in third place on a little run of their own, with the Marlins holding fourth place and the Nationals at the bottom. The Milwaukee Brewers and St. Louis Cardinals have the exact same record and are tied for first in the NL Central right now, with a comfortable nine-and-a-half game lead on the third-place Pittsburgh Pirates, with the Chicago Cubs and Cincinnati Reds in fourth and fifth place, respectively. The NL West is still pretty competitive. Right now, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers currently in first, only by virtue of their winning percentage. The Padres are right on their tails with a fantastic start to the season, and the Giants are three and a half games out in third place. The D-backs are 11 games out of first as they sit in fourth place, one game ahead of the last place Colorado Rockies. That'll do it for your standings update. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know I've had several episodes of this variety, and I love to talk about prospects in the minor leagues with some guests. Joining me today is someone who also talks prospects in the minor leagues, and that is Sam Dykstra of MLB Pipeline. How are you today? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, So first things first, um, the new CBA that was agreed to in March, uh, there were some incentives that were added for teams that included top prospects on their opening day rosters. And if they did well enough in the majors all season, and we saw sort of the effects of that with um, teams promoting some of their top prospects, guys like Bobby Witt Jr., Julio Rodriguez, C.J. Abrams, Hunter Green, and Spencer Torkelson, to name a few cracking day rosters. Uh, what have the results been for those guys so far this season? Yeah, it's been fascinating to follow rookies this year um, because those those guys you mentioned 
the the uh, Bobby Witt Juniors, the Julio Rodriguez's, the Spencer Torkelsons, especially those first two. Uh, even Hunter Green, who opened the year in the, in the Reds rotation, a lot of these guys have taken weeks to basically get used to Major League ball. I think it shows all of us just how big the difference right now is between Major League Baseball and Triple A ball. Bobby Witt Jr. was arguably one of the best hitters in all of the minor leagues last year. Um, one of certainly one of the most productive at Triple A, and gets called up and really struggles for the first couple of weeks. Julio Rodriguez didn't see a ball he couldn't hit in the minors really struggled with strikeouts to begin the year in Seattle. Those guys have made the adjustments. It's a big reason why we've always been big on them is because they have that offensive acumen um, to adjust on the fly. And now we're seeing it where this could be a really exciting, specifically in the AL, a really exciting rookie of the year race for all the best reasons. Julio Rodriguez is looking like a borderline all-star candidate uh, for Seattle. Bobby Witt Jr. has now transitioned to shortstop and is being every bit the five-tool player we expected him to be there. He was always fast in the minors or in the majors. He was always showing off a cannon arm, but now he's starting to hit and hit for power. Um, so I think we're kind of seeing that. And now, you know, Adley Rutschman didn't open the year in the major leagues, but uh, dealt with a triceps injury, rehabbed for a little bit, came up. He started to struggle out of the gate uh, for the Baltimore Orioles. He's starting to turn it around now, too. So it, it's interesting that, you know, these incentives are now in the CBA to let guys get on the opening day roster. And I think that's certainly going to help those teams. Obviously, Seattle and Kansas City aren't enjoying the best major league seasons, but they would be a ton worse if Bobby Wood Jr. and Julio Rodriguez were in the minors through May and they were making those same adjustments in May and June instead of April and May. And you mentioned Adley Rutschman is someone who's also um... – Kind of, he kind of struggled at the start, and uh, he he's made adjustments, and he's turned into a better player. Um, keeping on the Orioles a little bit, when might we see um, Yell Hall, Kyle Stowers, when Grayson Rodriguez comes back from his injury, maybe Grayson Rodriguez in the major leagues? Yeah, I, I, it's sounding more and more like Grayson Rodriguez is going to be 2023, um, which is very disappointing. Not in any decision that anybody's making. It's just he suffered a lat injury, and those can be – those can take a while to come back from the fact that he suffered it in June. You know, if he misses three months, then we're talking about September and the season's practically over. I think it's more likely maybe we see him a start or two at the end of the year. And then in the Arizona fall league, um, as somebody who covers the Arizona fall league, I would love to see that uh, just to see how his stuff would play at the end of the year. Uh, but it seems like the O's are certainly targeting 2023 for him, potentially even the opening day rotation because he was major league ready at the time of the injury. Uh, it was just really unfortunate timing there. DL Hall, um, love watching DL Hall. I think he has some of the best stuff in the minors. The thing with him has just been staying on the mound consistently. And now that he's at Norfolk, uh, pitching multiple innings at a time, he's, he's starting to crack five inning starts. Now he's getting strikeouts. He has four really good pitches. He has good velocity in the high nineties. I think we're weeks away um, from him because they probably just want to see him make five innings, six inning starts consistently uh, before they, they push him. It's even a bigger question of getting that experience for somebody like T.L. Hall because he missed so much time last year uh, with an elbow issue. He's yet to touch triple digits in terms of innings in the minor leagues. Um, and the Orioles are big on letting guys get that experience. So hopefully it's it's uh, just you know a couple of weeks away for him because I think the stuff would certainly play right now in the majors. Um, Kyle Stowers, I think he already came up briefly. So he's basically on the cusp of that already. The power is going to play. It's a question of the hit tool. Are they going to find enough outfield spots for him? Um, but 
you know, I think we might get into a position second half of the season where the bigger buzz question is going to be, do we see Gunnar Henderson? Do we see Jordan Westberg? Because those guys have been incredibly good all season long. Um, but on, in Westberg's case, especially after getting up to AAA Norfolk, I, I really think this offseason needs to be a time where the Orioles think like, OK, all the pieces are in place um, and we need to start making moves to supplement them. So if you have a, a major league ready Grayson Rodriguez when healthy, if you have a major league ready DL Hall, if you have, even if Gunnar Henderson's just knocking on the door, he might be a top 20 prospect in the game right now um, at either shortstop or third base. So I, I think this is going to hu- be a huge offseason. But yeah, we could see some see some of those names certainly come up in the second half. Right, that is a good Orioles prospect analysis out there for all you O's fans. Uh, Tigers, uh, they had Spencer Torfelton on their opening day roster. Uh, they didn't have Riley Green, but they recently called him up. Um, how how was his season in AAA prior to him being called up, and what does he look like so far in the majors? Yeah, so I, I think in AAA, it was mostly just him getting at-bats. You look at the numbers, they weren't stellar, but it was such a small sample size that I'm not all that worried about. It was 15 games. He had an OPS of 725, hitting 274. Not the typical Riley Green dominance that we, we've come to expect for him over the last four seasons, basically, in the minor leagues. Um, but so far in Detroit, he's actually lived up to the hype. We were talking about guys who have gotten off to slow starts in the majors. He hasn't. He's gone five for 12. Uh, so far in the majors, no extra base hits. It is what it is, but he's walked more than he struck out, which is a huge deal uh, because, you know, usually you see guys get to the majors and they get a little too swing happy. Um, they want to show off why they deserve to be there. Riley Green walking five times, striking out only three so far through four games. Again, a very small sample size, um, but, you know, it seems to be playing a, a pretty good center field. I watched some of the games of him playing in Boston, dealing with the gap in right center. Uh, he seemed to close down there pretty well. And that's a big deal for somebody coming off a broken foot. Uh, you, you question what the speed is going to be like for him. I know some people didn't think he was going to have a ton of speed before that. How is it going to play afterwards? Especially since Detroit's going to make him an everyday center fielder, or that's what they want out of him to, to take over that role. Um, so I think the instincts are certainly still good out there. Um, he has enough speed to cover ground. But it, it's going to be more the jumps that's going to get him there. He's going to know where the ball is going and, it, and the instincts, like I said, uh, over the speed. So Riley Green kind of changing the script a little bit from what we've seen rookie so far. I'm sure the league is going to adjust back to him. And again, we would like to see a little bit more uh, slugging ability than going five for 12 with all singles. But uh, it's certainly a solid start for him. Yeah, and I just just did the quick math. Five for 12 is a 417 batting average. So he's definitely... He's definitely off to a good start in limited action so far. Uh, the Braves, at the end of May, they called up one of their top prospects, outfielder Michael Harris II. Uh, and I don't know if it's if you can shed light on if this is because of Harris or not. The Braves have just kept winning. What kind <laughs> of a role? They, they, they just keep winning games right now. What kind of role has Harris had in that winning streak? Yeah, again, you know, we, we talked about the big names struggling out of the gate. Michael Harris, the second, if you told me he was going to be called up this year from AA Mississippi at just 21 years old and, uh, you know, it, that this was a year in which rookie struggled, I'd be like, well, of course he's going to struggle. The great thing about Michael Harris, the second, is that he's really fast. He already won a gold glove in the minor leagues. Uh, him and Christian Pache, former Braves prospect, won two out of the three minor league outfield gold gloves last year. Um, so he could 
contribute that way. You can contribute with his speed. Uh, thought that was going to be it, basically. And it, it's he's been even better than that. He's hitting 345 through 23 games, um, showing a little bit of pop, slugging 571. Again, the defense alone, I think, gives him a pretty decent floor. Um, but it's kind of crazy because there was a time two years ago where we were talking about Pache being the future center fielder for the Braves because of all the things that Michael Harris II is now doing. Um, is he always going to be a 345 hitter? No, he, he's a career 290 hitter in the minors. I expect him to be closer to that 270 range um, by the time he kind of settles in. Is he going to be a career 500 slugger? No, I don't think he necessarily has that in him. But if he can even just be a league average bat with everything else going for him, with the glove, with the arm, the, the legs, um, he's going to be a really valuable member of that Atlanta organization. And, you know, coming off a World Series win, this is what you need to do to keep that run going. You need to lose a Freddie Freeman, lose, uh, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. to injuries at, at some points, but just plug somebody else in and keep going without having to make major, major moves. Obviously, bringing Matt Olson certainly helps there. Um, but Michael Harris II, I know you said, you know, it, it since he's come up, they've been really good at winning. I don't think it's directly correlated, but it, they're definitely uh, related in some way. Um, the fact that you can bring up a 21-year-old and have him hit the ground the running the way he has has been a huge boost uh, to Atlanta. And, uh, you know, we were talking about the AL rookie of the year race before. Harris has to be considered now because if this keeps going, he's going to have a massive war by the end of the year. Yeah, in that in that um, analysis there, you mentioned Christian Pache. You mentioned that the Braves brought in Matt Olson, um, which leads me right into the Oakland days. Um, after all their trading away of Matt Olson, Matt Chapman, Chris Bassett, just to name a couple guys, got a lot of prospects in return. Um, how are some of those guys doing? You don't have to go through all of them, but how are a couple of them, some of them doing in the major league level for the last place Oakland days? Yeah, I, it's one of those situations where you look at it right now and it, it's, you know, the A's were making long-term plays, right? Like you trade those guys away because you know they're not going to re-sign. You try to get somebody back who's going to help you for a long time out. Um, you know, I look at like a Shea Langoliers right now, who is we have at MLB Pipeline as the top prospect in the A system. He's definitely been really good this year at Las Vegas. He's got an 863 OPS. We've always thought of him as one of the best defensive catchers in minor league baseball. So if he can sh keep showing off plus power uh, at the upper levels, that's going to be a huge deal for the A's. Of course, he plays catcher and Sean Murphy might be the best player left in Oakland. Uh, the way things are kind of looking right now, he's at least in that conversation. So what does that mean for Sean Murphy? What does that mean for Langoliers? I don't think you move either of those guys off catcher. Uh, Shea Langoliers is 24. He's turning 25 in November. So the clock's kind of ticking. He, he needs everyday playing time and he's getting that right now at AAA Las Vegas. But, uh, you know, it, it's a good problem to have for the A's, but, uh, you kind of wish if you were them that you could plug a different hole that, you know, with their, with that top prospect. Um, I think Pache, he had some exciting moments at the beginning of the year. We actually moved him out of our top 100. Uh, to begin the season, just because we had some pretty big concerns about the bat, that seems to be coming to fruition at the major league level. Again, he's part, plenty young. It could still work. He has a decent floor. When he makes an exciting catch, he's going to grab a lot of highlights. You're going to think he's doing all right. And just the swing and miss is an issue. He, he's not showing as much power as you would hope uh, for somebody of his size. So that's not exactly turning out the best. And then Kevin Smith, somebody they got from the A's organization or from the Blue Jays organization, excuse me, before this, I know there were some people who were very high on him, 
Um, I, he's had such an up and down career through that throughout the minor leagues. It seemed like when they got him, he was on the way up again. Um, they were certainly buying high on him. And now it's gotten to the point where they've optioned him back to AAA. Uh, there are some decent tools there. I think he can be a good defensive infielder. Um, he's shown power and speed in the past. It's just the bat's not playing right now at the major league level. And now that he's seen it consistently, maybe he can make those adjustments, but he's another one of those older prospects that the, t- the clock is kind of ticking against him. Uh, and you know, it's, it's going to be years until we can really judge all these trades. Uh, but it's not been the best of starts, I think so far in terms of what the A's got back. Okay. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, Smith as a good defensive infielder. Uh, that brings me into, my next uh, topic, uh, there's a lot of really, really good um, shortstop prospects right now. Guys like Bolby, Meyer, the aforementioned C.J. Abrams, uh, O'Neill Cruz, just some of the headline guys, even Royce Lewis. Um, so just just how talented is this minor league crop? I mean, even outside of the top 10 and those guys that I previously that I just mentioned. Yeah, I mean, the shortstop's always going to be a loaded position in the minor leagues, um, just because by the nature of player development, you're going to put some of your most athletic players at shortstop. Um, and if they're super athletic, that means they can throw, that means they can hit, that means they can run, they can do everything really well. So the names you're mentioning there, I mean, we just had O'Neill Cruz come up this past week for the Pittsburgh Pirates and show off maybe the best tools any Pirates major leaguer has shown off this year. Immediately in that game, he had their best exit velocity. He had their hardest throw. He had the hardest throw in Major League Baseball this year, throwing, I think it was close to 97 miles an hour. I don't have it offhand, but it was around that. Um, Just throwing across the diamond from shortstop. Uh, He had their best runs in terms of sprint speed. And we had O'Neill Cruz at number eight. So that gives you an idea of as good as he was very quickly in the Major Leagues and as toolsy as he is, there are there might be seven better shortstop prospects. Big reason for that is Cruz is is massive, six foot seven, as many people know. Not entirely sure he can stick it short, um, but some of those guys you mentioned, uh, Jordan Lawler, just getting back uh, this week from a rib issue, he's been really really good at low A. Uh, Visalia this year hitting three fifty four. He's got an OPS above one thousand. It's the California League, so some of your listeners might know that it's an extremely hitter friendly league. Uh, but Jordan Lawler. Already somebody we were high on showing in a really impressive bat to begin the year, Marcelo Meyer. Many people thought he was the number one overall prospect in last year's draft. He ended up going to the Red Sox, who were elated to get him. Real special talent. He might have been the best hitter and the best defender in that draft. And we have him right now as a number five shortstop in baseball. I think that's going to go up. I think he's probably climbed past Marco Luciano and Anoel V. Marte. Um, but yeah, some of these guys have been really, really good. I know Anthony Volpe got off to a rough start at double a this year. And we have a lot of people in our mentions saying, why do you guys still rank him so highly? I think some of the batted ball data went against him. He had a low batting average on balls in play, which is not entirely his fault, uh, to begin the year. He's stealing a base. It feels like every time he gets on, uh, and that's a double a where typically we see stolen bases start to trail off. He still has that power that we saw last year at low a and high a. Um, so we're, there's still a lot of reasons to really like Anthony Volpe and C.A.J. Abrams, like you said, um, just getting the call back to San Diego now after putting together a really special couple weeks at AAA El Paso. Um, you know, still one of the best runners in the Meyer leagues, athletic enough to play multiple positions. I think he's going to be a pretty good hitter when it's all said and done. We're starting to show a little bit of power as well. Uh, it's just a really good group of well-rounded shortstop prospects, and there are more on the way. You know, you look at an Ezekiel Tovar in the Rocky system, 
who's destroying pitching right now at double a Hartford. And he was one of the best offensive prospects in baseball uh, before that. Um, so even our list of top 10 guys right now is going to change when we make our midseason update, but shortstop year in and year out is always going to be one of the most lo- loaded spots. Yeah, no, I, I, I watched that O'Neill Cruz. Sorry, you're talking about I might've been 97 or 98 miles an hour. It was really fast though. I, I remember watching that. I'm like, Ooh, this kid's really good. Um, keeping on the pirates, uh, Henry Davis, they took him first overall last year in the draft. He's already up in double A. Um, is this him being kind of fast tracked by the Pirates, or is is it being is he actually deserving to be a double A right now? Oh, he's certainly deserving to be a double A. I mean, he was one of those college bats that you kind of figured may open the year at double A to begin with, just because he was so advanced offensively. Uh, it's the reason why they took him number one overall. Obviously, baseball is going to be a little different uh, than most other sports. It's not always the number one best prospect who goes number one uh there's bonus pools to consider and i think the pirates had something worked out with davis um but looking at what he did at louisville you know slugging above 600 had an ovp around 500 in his final season he had 15 homers he could certainly handle the jump to double a unfortunately to begin this year he's been hit multiple times and he's actually battled some injuries because of that it seems like a freak thing. I don't think he's doing any, he's not leaning into pitches or anything, but especially for a catching prospect, when you start to get hit and you're also supposed to catch 130, 140 pitches a game, that's really difficult. So uh, it hasn't been the best started for him at double A, but I don't think the pirates right now are in a position where like, Hey, we need to get you to the major leagues as fast as possible. They're kind of letting his development dictate that. And because he was so advanced coming out of college, that's allowed them to move him up to double A this quick. Um, hopefully he establishes himself a little bit better here in the, the weeks and months to come, but, you know, given how advanced he is with the bat and I think he can be a decent catcher, decent enough to stay back there, especially if we move to, uh, you know, robot umpires in the future, his arm's going to play back there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him in triple A to begin his, to end his first full season. All right. Uh, interesting stuff there. Um, the Red Sox will go, we'll go to, um, the pitching part of the pitcher catcher tandem. Uh, the Red Sox have some pretty good pitching in their farm system right now. Uh, a couple guys that jump off the page that I've seen as a Red Sox fan are uh, Brian Bayo and Brian Mata. Uh, I know that Mata is coming off of Tommy John and he's currently rehabbing, but um, what's the latest info on those guys? And if Bayo keeps pitching this well, is he a candidate for the majors this year? Yeah, I mean, watching Bayo pitch the other day, uh, I think he put in seven strong innings for AAA Worcester. He has looked as dominant as anybody in the minor leagues this year. Um, I, I know he's got an ERA around three through seven appearances with Portland, but the stuff is there. He's pitching in the upper 90s, hitting around 97. Um, the changeup, just watching the swings and misses he was getting on his changeup was really, really special. Uh, he's got some other you know, pitches in the mix. He's got an above-average slider. I think the control is going to be there for him. You know, you talk about Red Sox pitching, and my colleague Josh Jackson did this story on the Portland rotation to begin the year, who also had Brandon Walter and um, some other big names through that system. And he basically asked the coaches, like, hey, Red Sox pitching prospect is not something that's been said a lot the last couple of years. You look at, like, who, they, who they've developed. It's Tanner Houck, who's now a closer, which is great. That's, that's valuable to have. 
Um, but Garrett Whitlock is somebody they had to go get from the Rule 5 draft. They signed Michael Waka and Nick Pavetta is somebody they picked up in a trade. They've just not developed starting pitching prospects. Going back to Mata, part of that is injuries. That happens. Um, but Bayo has a chance to be somebody really special. And I think if the Red Sox, as they're doing right now, they are making a charge to the postseason, probably not going to catch the Yankees in the AL East. But if they're getting into a place where they could get one of the top wild card spots, Bayo is pitching well enough right now that you're going to want him pitching in Fenway. Um, that that fastball and changeup is going to play right away. And if he can keep that that breaker going the way he has, he's definitely on track to, to see the major leagues in the second half. And that's going to be as big an addition, I, I feel like, as they can make at the trade deadline even. Yeah. Oh, that's that's obvious. That's important to hear. We, yeah, you're, you're right about the prospects. It's, it's, it's been a while since anybody good has come out of – Lester and Buckles for the last two really good ones. Um, uh, first base in Boston has been temporarily filled by French Cordero playing pretty well. Bobby Dalbeck getting a little better. Um, first thing, which comes at a good time because top prospect at first base, Tristan Casas is a little hurt right now. Um, what's the latest on Casas? Yeah, so what I've seen reported about Casas is that you know he's got an ankle injury. He's rehabbing down in Fort Myers. He's not getting in Florida complex league games, um, but it's, it's not exactly going as well as you would hope uh, for him. You kind of hope that he would, would have been back by now, or at least been getting in games. Um, he's been on the injured list since May 22nd, uh, which is a little, is pretty long. We're speaking here on June 22nd. So it's been a month uh, for just an ankle injury. It doesn't sound great in terms of, is he going to press the envelope to unseat Dahlbeck in Boston? Uh, you know, when, when Casas puts it all together, it, it's a really special talent. I really like him defensively at first base. Uh, he's a former third baseman, so he's agile enough over there. Uh, seeing him last year in the Arizona Fall League, he was one of my favorite guys to watch just do defensive drills because he was super into that as much as he was in the cage. The power is always going to play. Watching him play in Worcester, where they have the Worcester wall in right field, uh, essentially the green monster button right, and it's blue. Uh, just played so well into his power. Uh, I think he was trending towards a debut in the midseason. Maybe it would have been around now. Maybe it would have been in July. Uh, he was really getting his feet wet at AAA. Now that's being delayed. And until we get info that, hey, he's ready to start a rehab assignment in the FCL or in Salem or in Greenville or something like that, uh, it's going to be a while until we can really say he's going to be in the major leagues. Maybe you're targeting around August for him to finally see Boston at this point. Uh, but, you know, especially when those early struggles were happening for Bobby Dahlbeck, you always assumed, hey, Tristan Costas is right there. And until he proves he's healthy, he's just not right now. Yeah, talking, talking a little more about health and we'll stay in the AL East. Uh, Blue Jays catcher Danny Jansen was put on the IL, which gave them a shot, a uh, chance to promote uh, top catching prospect Gabriel Moreno from play Buffalo. Uh as I don't know if it's an even split as a platoon or if he's playing a little more or less than Alejandro Kirk, but um, how has Moreno been doing so far in the big? Yeah, Alejandro Kirk, or not Alejandro Kirk, uh, Gabriel Moreno has fit in very well uh, so far for the Toronto Blue Jays. I was always wondering how that was going to shake out as well uh, because at the beginning of the year, the Blue Jays had three pretty decent catchers. Uh, they also had Reese McGuire in that mix and then they traded him to Chicago for Zach Collins and Zach Collins is another catcher. So it felt like they kept pushing down Gabriel Moreno further down the totem pole um, and just waiting for him to kind of prove himself at AAA Buffalo. The time finally came, 
as things sit right now, he's 11 for 26 to start uh, his major league career, batting 423. The OPS is above 900. Uh, if you look at him and how he compares to catchers in terms of his pop times at the major league level, it, they're top five in all of baseball. Uh, he's super athletic. Another former third baseman. We were talking about that with Casas. Reno was actually signed as a third baseman. Um, so he's always been athletic behind the plate. His arm plays pretty well. It's it's kind of just average arm strength, but he gets it to the point where he can nab his, uh, certainly his fair share of attempted base stealers back there because he pops up so quick and he gets firing uh, as quick as anybody else in the game right now. Um, so you know, Alejandro Kirk, I think to begin the year had really improved his pitch framing. That's always been a big question for him, but I think just the overall package is going to make Moreno potentially the full-time catcher in Toronto uh, by year's end. And again, they're pushing for a playoff spot. Kirk in their game today is DHing, uh, and maybe you live with him as the DH and Moreno uh, catcher, but they, they, I'm sure they'll platoon those guys as needed just to give both of them a break. Uh, make sure both of those guys don't break down because at their ceilings, they're both above average hitters and potentially above average defenders. All right. Uh, we'll start to get into our last couple of questions here. Um, I don't want to, obviously I know around the draft, um, new farm system rankings and prospect rankings are going to come out and I don't want to want to spoil it all right now, but um, are there any hints about what teams farm systems have improved a lot what teams maybe have dropped a little bit just anything about that yeah it's going to be fascinating to see how this draft I think is going to go Um, we had the Orioles as the number one farm system in baseball coming into the year Uh, they're going to lose Adley Rutschman just because of graduation uh, here in a couple weeks I think by early July he's going to graduate Uh, so you lose the number one prospect in baseball that's going to make you suffer but, oh, by the way, they may draft a Drew Jones, number one overall, and then all of a sudden you get this really good infusion of talent. I think the Orioles are still in a pretty good spot. Whether they're going to be number one overall or not, I I'm, I'm, haven't really dug into that uh, in terms of the farm system. You look at what the Seattle system is right now. They were a system I was very high on coming into the year. Julio Rodriguez has graduated. Uh, George Kirby's about to graduate. That leaves Noel V. Marte as their top prospect. He hasn't been that great this year. Uh, Matt Brash was actually sent down from the majors to the minor leagues, and they've made him a, a reliever. I think he can still be a really special reliever because the breaking ball is so good, uh, but the shine has come off him a little bit. Emerson Hancock is pitching but hasn't been super stellar. They have some other breakouts like Edwin Arroyo, who's a borderline top 100 prospect right now for us. Um, so if you look at those two systems as what we thought is maybe the one-two coming into the year, that like the Orioles have certainly held. I think the Mariners are coming down a little bit, but like you say, like I think end of July, early August is when we're going to come out with our new one. And then we're going to spend the next couple of weeks really digging into this stuff and trying to see it, it used to be a lot more cut and dry, right? Like I think back to the beginning of last year, the Tampa Bay Rays were by far and away the best system in baseball because they were just so deep and they had the number one overall prospect in baseball in Juan Franco. I think we're getting to a place now where talent is pretty well spread out a little bit more. Um, and I don't have an easy answer for why that is, uh, but it is, it makes it a little bit more difficult to evaluate these system by system. Yeah. All right. Uh, we'll wrap up with this one. Um, just talked about teams that are going to be shuffling around in the farm system rankings. What are some prospects, maybe guys that we haven't talked about guys that we have who've had 
really good years and are due to jump up in the prospect rank. Yeah, so uh, the one guy I feel like I should bring up almost immediately here who we've not talked about yet was Corbin Carroll. Um, we moved him up already in our rankings to number 13. I think the next time we do an update, uh, he's going to be at least top 10, if not top five. Corbin Carroll was coming off major shoulder surgery last year that knocked him out after only seven games at high A. Uh, even though he only played seven games at high A, the D-backs were like, you're too advanced for that level. We're going to move you to double A to start this season. He's responded by hitting 323. He's slugging 600. He's got an OPS above 1,000. Uh, he has really, really good speed. He's stole 20 bases. He's showing, you know, burgeoning power. He's got 16 homers. I should note that he plays at Amarillo, which Hodgetown, name of the ballpark in Amarillo, is one of the most hitter-friendly in baseball. His splits are a little bit skewed. But again, it, it's such a, a five-tool talent here with Corbin Carroll that you could put him anywhere, and he's going to put up special numbers the way he's come off the shoulder. Um, like I said, he can run. He can field. He's a center fielder. He ticks all of the boxes that you talk about in terms of potential number one overall prospect at some point. Uh, somebody who could challenge him for that is somebody who's been really hot of late in the Mets system, the catcher uh, Francisco Alvarez, who jumped to double A this year, just 20 years old. Uh, he's slugging 580, which is an improvement for him uh, over last year. He's got 16 homers already in only 57 games. And again, he's 20 years old. He was one of the youngest, youngest players in all of double A baseball. And he's really caught fire of late, kind of doing what Julio Rodriguez and Bobby Wood Jr. were doing at the major league level. He's made the adjustments. It's always been really good power. Um, Buck Showalter talked about it this spring, saying it's it's basically major league ready. He just needs the experience. Uh, we're getting there now where the Mets, who obviously are one of the best teams in the NL, might have conversations about bringing up a 20-year-old uh, in the second half of the season just because if they're really going to make a run at a World Series, you don't want to leave Francisco Alvarez in Binghamton or Syracuse. Um, you want him on your roster, especially with the DH spot open now. So those are guys kind of in the conversation for number one overall right now. Uh, one other name I'll throw out there who I really like is Jordan Walker, third baseman of the St. Louis Cardinals system. They've been super aggressive with him uh, ever since they drafted him 21st overall two years ago. Uh, Jordan Walker started out this year at 19 years old. He's since turned 20, but he also has opened the year at double A. He's hitting 310. Again, this is the second straight year that he's batted at least 310 in the minor leagues, another OPS above 900. Uh, I think the power is has a chance to be plus plus. It hasn't played yet, but the fact that he's still making so much contact and good contact, I think the power is certainly going to come around for him. And I think he's a little bit more athletic than he gets credit for. Uh, you look at somebody who's six foot five, 220 pounds, you think they're not the most athletic people in the world. I think he plays at least an adequate third base. Um, he has the arm for that position. He might run into the same problem that Nolan Gorman did, and he'll have to move in deference to Nolan Arenado at some point. Um, but maybe you try him out in left field or right field because uh, I think he has the athleticism play out there. And we thought, it, like I said, we thought it was plus-plus power from him, but it's also turning out to be a plus-hit tool. And if that's true, plus-power, plus a really good hit tool, that's going to make him potentially one of the best hitters in the major leagues five years down the line. All right. Yeah, that's some really good, uh, really good stuff there. So as an eye on there, uh, MLB pipeline rankings, when they redo them, you might see some of those guys you talked about. Um, that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Uh, Sam Dykstra of MLB pipeline. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me.
thank you for listening to this Prospect Talk episode of the Strikeout Central podcast. Be sure to follow Sam on Twitter at Sam Dykstra, D-Y-K-S-T-R-A-M-I-L-B, to keep up with some of the prospects we discussed today, as well as all the minor league updates you need. If you would like to read about baseball news by the day as it happens, be sure to check out the Strikeout Central website at www.strikeoutcentral.blogspot.com for daily baseball posts. Stay tuned for the next episode. I'm your host, Michael. Have a good day, and happy baseball season.